The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 281 for Wednesday, March 18th, 2015. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number, 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning in to My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety program sharing reviews and opinions on mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. As always, our subject matter Gets a little crass sometimes, so listener and viewer discretion is advised, much like you heard at the start of the show. As always, there are a couple of ways you can tune into the show live. You can listen, watch, and join the interactive chat at mtrlive.com or gfq.tv, gfqlive.tv, excuse me. Otherwise, you can call into our call-in number, not hit option one, and listen that way. Or you can use the Mixler feed on mtrlive.com or if you have the Mixler app for iOS or Android, you can listen to the show that way as well. Archived episodes of the show are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Video archives of the show are available on both our YouTube channels, My Take Radio, My Take Radio TV on YouTube and also Official Rageworks, both on YouTube and we usually have those up within 24 to 48 hours, depending on the size of the video. In addition to that, of course, the best way to get all the MTR goodness is to pick up the official My Take Radio app, available for iOS, Windows Mobile, and Android devices. Of course, for iOS, you are heading to iTunes. For Android, you are hitting the Amazon Android Marketplace. And of course, for Windows, you are hitting the Windows Store for Windows 8 and also for Windows Mobile. All right, so lots to discuss this week. I want to get a little housekeeping out of the way. I also want to share a little bit of a uh, brief monologue from yesterday, which you guys will appreciate, and just some really horrible things that transpired on St. Patrick's Day that I want to share with you guys. Also, on deck tonight, Ben is going to be joining me to break down UFC 185, as well as some of the week's MMA news. We're also going to be discussing Monday Night Raw, of course, Some of the week's wrestling news, it's a little light this week. Of course, leading up to WrestleMania, things are primarily rumors and speculation, but I do want to address this past past episode of Raw, and of course, I want to talk a little bit about WrestleMania as well. 
If you do want to participate, like I said, 347-324-3541 to call in or use our chat room at mtrlive.com or gfqlive.tv. All right, so let's get the housekeeping out of the way first and foremost. For those of you that are following our RageWorks Facebook fan page, uh, I would like to just extend an apology to you guys. Uh, We are currently really, really aggressively migrating content from MyTakeRadio.com and one of our plugins, which controls a lot of our social media sharing, took it upon itself to dictate that all the content we were moving over were all new posts. So because of that, many of you had flooded timelines with all our updates. I definitely want to apologize for that. We have disabled the plugin until the entire process is completed. Um, All 2,200 posts, more or less, are being moved over, and the intention is to fully decommission MyTakeRadio.com and forward it to RageWorks.net. For those of you that have My Take Radio in your RSS feeds, go to RageWorks.net and use that RSS to get all the access to every episode of MTR, all our other shows, plus content from RageWorks as well. In addition, the testing for the forum, I actually deleted the forum that we tried. Uh, This was one that I had used before, the Simple Machines Forum. I felt that there was no way to remedy the slowdown that it was causing the site. So we have decided to try something else for the time being. Also, I wanted to take a moment and acknowledge those of you that have reached out asking about our live blogs for Raw and SmackDown and other wrestling events. And I am going to um, address that right now and let you guys know what the deal is because that that in particular is something that I know a lot of you guys follow. I see a lot of you guys tune in uh, a couple of days, sometimes even later in the week to find out what was going on on Raw. So I did want to let you guys know about that as well. And you know what? Let me let me address that first. The live blog process for those of us that are involved on the staff side is, at least for me, it's something that usually runs very streamlined. But over the last couple of weeks, well, last couple of months, it has become a little bit more cumbersome than I would like. Uh, a lot of this is due to issues with scheduling, um, who's going to manage it, who's not going to manage it, who's going who's gonna to contribute, who is not. And I'm trying to just run something very streamlined. You know, running RageWorks is a uh, very arduous process now, especially, you know, with, with the decommissioning of MyTakeRadio.com and all that content, plus trying to create all our advertising opportunities and event coverage. You guys know the deal. I don't got to sing you the song that many of you have heard countless times before anyway because of that we were noticing that the live blogs were suffering for a multitude of reasoning a multitude of reasons most of most of our staff you know they got full-time jobs they're students etc and it became a question of scheduling now you're probably saying well rich you know why couldn't you do the live blog well usually it is because by the time i leave the office raw is usually in its second hour Usually I am on the road by 8.45, quarter to 9, and I get here by 9.30. So there's no necessity to start a live blog when we are 90 minutes into the broadcast. It is an insult to you, the reader, and it just it's, it's just half-assed. So for that reason, I, just, I opted to not do the live blogs until we can get um, everybody on the same page and establish a, a good schedule and just a way to get stuff done. 
we have put the live blogs on pause. Now, with regards to will they ever return? Yes, they absolutely will. But I will make sure that if and when they do, either it is a completely hands-on event with all our team or the bulk of our team being involved, or I will be managing it personally. This way, if you know I drop the ball or it fucks up or whatever the case may be, it falls on me and I don't have to chase down you know, any of my staff or just be a pain in their ass to, to get a live blog out. So I hope that answers uh, the questions for those of you that have been asking for the live blogs. We may see the return of a live blog for WrestleMania, this, this primarily being because I should watch WrestleMania live. I know there are instances where I watch it sometimes half an hour or an hour later just because of my schedule on the weekends. But if, if and when I decide to do it, I'm going to try and invest the entire uh, four hours of broadcast of, um, you know, airtime for WrestleMania into the live blog. I will keep you guys posted if we decide to do that, either via social media on our Facebook fan page or via Twitter. Um, as for, like I said, the, the live blog and the usage of the live blog for other events, I will be, you know, using my own, my discretion with regards to that. Um, I did want to cover the uh, the watch, the the Apple Watch event, but again, just time was not on my side to get into the um, you know, to get into the 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 stream for the for the the Apple Watch and to be able to cover it effectively. So that was why we did not have an event, uh, excuse me, a live blog for the Apple Watch. But we are, you know, we're gonna try and get into that a bit a bit more. And once I. You know, once the the summer starts and people's schedules lighten up, I think a lot of that stuff will be easier to manage. But right now, we're just trying to trim away a lot of the excess that's really slowing down a lot of stuff that needs to get done. We're trying to run a well-oiled machine, and that was something that was definitely not allowing us to do so. With regards to Patreon, which I've mentioned last week on both of last week's live shows... Uh, we are revisiting Patreon, and we are going to try and get together a better strategy to ensure that not only are we going to secure funding to give you guys a better experience, both for our on-air product, but also for the site, but also we want to ensure that you guys are going to get great rewards along with those milestones. Uh, my goal, my main milestone with regards to Patreon is to ensure that we can do my take radio broadcasts more than twice a week. Uh, just to separate the the subject matter a bit more, go a bit deeper, improve our studio, improve our our equipment, et cetera, et cetera. You guys know the deal. Uh, no need to um, beat a dead horse. Uh, with regards to that, details will be available on Patreon.com forward slash My Take Radio, and we will have updates for that within the coming weeks once we get a strategy in place and we determine what type of milestones and reviews we will give our patrons. Now. With the housekeeping out of the way, I want to let you guys know um, uh, interesting and funny story from yesterday. So, of course, yesterday was St. Patrick's Day, and across the U.S., everybody felt that they were honorary Irishmen and women, which, while while noble, uh, definitely does not constitute drinking yourself into a stupor and throwing up in the street, which was the bulk of yesterday. Also... Uh, I had the opportunity to go see a screening of The Gunman starring Sean Penn. Our review for that will be on RageWorks.net within a couple of hours. Uh, props to our colleagues at Royal Flush Magazine for making that ha- making that possible. Uh, brief, brief, quick review of the film. Uh, 
uh, definitely uh, very violent, very violent, solid action sequences. Uh, Sean Penn got in tremendous shape for the role. Uh, definitely continues the trend of more established actors jumping into the action movie genre. Uh, Sean Penn, of course, joins guys like, of course, Denzel Washington, Liam Neeson, and a couple of other elder statesmen, you know, Schwarzenegger, Stallone, Bruce Willis, etc. And with regards to that, there were a lot of rights and a lot of wrongs in that film, which I'm not going to give away. So be on the lookout for our review on RageWorks.net. And maybe I may throw out a minority film report to go with that as well. We'll see what happens, time permitting. Now, funny thing about the screening was we got to see the screening and after the screening was over and I'm walking back to take the train to go home, uh, you know, you see a lot of stumbling and bumbling from people just trying to get home from the quote unquote festivities that are involved with St. Patrick's Day. Most involved just going bar to bar. Others would want to go and get some Irish food. Uh, other people participate in the, in the St. Patrick's Day parade. But the funny thing was for every every three or four stumbling drunks, there were the uh, the the multitudes of people that just decide I'm just going to throw up just, just, I'm going to stop at the corner and puke my brains out. And again, it's to be expected, but sometimes it's, it's funnier than others, especially when it's, you know, these, these, these young girls with their hair dyed green and, and, you know, striped green uh, tights, just puking in the middle of the street. It's like, yeah, I bet you when you woke up this morning, you didn't think that's how your day was going to end. But the, utter and most disturbing thing I saw last night was that we have a commuter rail line here in in New York City called the Long Island Railroad, which services Manhattan and some of the outer five boroughs and, of course, Long Island as well. And one of the rules that's in effect during St. Patrick's Day is that you cannot bring alcohol on the train. Usually you can, but of course, for St. Patrick's Day, you can't. Anyway, so there were people running for their trains and there's a guy kid you not. I swear this is a hundred percent true. He is um, walking to the steps to go and catch his train with two slices of pizza on a paper plate. As he reaches said door, he proceeds to drop one of the slices of pizza cheese side down onto the floor in Penn station. Now, for those of you that are unfamiliar with New York city or some of the, major, major metropolitan stations. Penn Station is a central hub, not only for uh, commuter rail like Long Island Railroad, but it's also Metro North. It's also Amtrak and subways as well. But um, in any case, this individual, besides, like I said, Penn Station being that that major transit hub, it is also a place for, you know, where a lot of homeless people congregate. A lot of weirdness happens. And above all else, a lot of terrible things fall on that floor. Anyway, this guy drops the slice of pizza cheese side down on the floor in Penn Station and proceeds to pick up said slice, applying the five second rule and picks it up, puts it on the plate and begins to eat it as he walks down the stairs. Now, let this sink in. This is essentially a subway station. And this individual dropped his slice of pizza on the floor, cheese side down, picked it up, and continued eating it. The cops that were watching the door, the patrons along with myself waiting there were just dumbfounded that this guy would do that because the floor in Penn Station is probably 
one of the filthiest floors in New York City. So, yeah, that was that was probably the highlight of the evening. And of course, the cops and most of us were just like, wow, that guy really, you know, he that's that's some crazy shit. And the cop, his rationale was that guy's got so much alcohol in his system that any germs he may have got off that floor may essentially be killed due to the due to the amount of alcohol in his system. This is how bad it was. Anyway, I ended up catching my train uh, with with a lot of people going home from their St. Patrick's Day festivities. And of course, no train ride would be complete without someone puking their brains out on the train. A young lady who was on the train with her boyfriend proceeded to puke all over the 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 aisle for the exit, which was wonderful. And uh, yeah, definitely an interesting evening, an interesting St. Patrick's Day here in New York City. Uh, one of the few times that I've gone into the city on St. Patrick's Day because it's one of those things I just tried to avoid. It's it's the same thing trying to go into the city for New Year's Eve. You just don't want to do it because it's just a bad idea either because of the drunks or the police or just random, always some random freak occurrence. And, you know, I always have the misfortune of attracting weirdos. So I was trying to really be on my guard to not attract any drunken maniacs that just roll through and just cause all kinds of mischief and mayhem. But nonetheless, aside from the, uh, the, the shenanigans and the, uh, the subway pizza, the, uh, the overall, like I said, the overall St. Patrick's day atmosphere in New York city was rather festive. Anyway, I figured I'd share that story with you. You guys could just be horrified and skeeved out much like I was as for what we got on deck tonight. As I said, we're going to be talking about UFC 185. Ben is going to be joining me to provide some commentary for that. We're also going to break down the week's MMA news. And, of course, on the wrestling side of things, we are going to talk about Raw. I did not get to finish um, watching NXT. And um, the other thing uh, you know, I wanted to get into was just some of the wrestling rumors that have surfaced during the week, including uh, an interesting list of Hall of Fame inductees. Uh, put out by PW Insider. I want to kind of go through that with you as well. Again, our caller number 347-324-3541. Again, that caller number 347-324-3541. All right, let's get that ball rolling and talk some MMA, shall we? As always, My Take Radio's MMA segment is brought to you by MMAWarehouse.com. Get all your favorite fighter gear, training supplies, rash guards, geese, and so much more by heading over to MMAWarehouse.com. Also visit RageWorks.net and look for banners and promo codes. Of course, as always, those do contain affiliate links, but every purchase done with those banners does help us out and allow us to improve not only the quality of our broadcasting, but also the quality of our site as well. Again, MMA This Week brought to you by MMAWarehouse.com. I was just informed by Slick that Ben is in queue. Let me bring Ben in. Uh, Lots to discuss, including two title changes from UFC 185 as well. Big Ben, what's up? What's up, man? (sighs) You know... UFC 185 was on paper a card that many of us probably wouldn't have had 
any issues missing. I'm going to be the first to admit that um, it was, you know, I definitely felt like shit for not watching the card live because it was surprisingly enjoyable. A ton of finishes from start to finish. Um, before we get into some of the fights, what did you think of the card as a whole? Um, it it was a it was a really good card to be honest with you. Um, you know, you had two title fights that both delivered in uh different ways. Uh, you had some upsets. You all, all the finishes on the undercard. I mean, there was no fight on there that you really. I mean, outside of like the Jared Rochelle fight, you could really call boring. Um, so I it, overall it was a really good card. I was really impressed with that finish from uh, from the ladies, Jerain Durandami taking on Larissa Pacheco. Uh, beautiful finish via punches to close it out. It was a um, just a, a brutal, brutal finish to get the the ball rolling, especially for the ladies. I was uh, very impressed with Jermaine Durandami. She looked really good in that fight. Um, curious where it places her in the rankings, but definitely an aggressive and solid performance. Yeah, uh, this is the best I've ever seen her look as far as fighting in Maine. She's been fighting for, I want to say, like six years now. Um, it, it looked like, at least in this fight, she had put it all together, really got to show the striking that made everybody excited about, you know, her coming to MMA. But uh, she looked really good, um, really powerful, and she's obviously a really good athlete. And, I mean, this was the first time she's really been able to show it. Yeah, I was I was thoroughly impressed. I was also looking forward to seeing Sergio Pettis fight. Um, really, really crazy way that the fight between him and Ryan Benoit played out. Um, what did you think, man? I mean, what, well, let me, let me rephrase that. What did you think of how the post fight went with that? Um, I kind of feel like Ryan Benoit or Benier, I forgot how he pronounces it. Um, should either be suspended or cut. Um, I really have an issue. Like if you're going to cut Paul Daly for a sucker punch, right? Which was not even as bad as this. This was worse than what Paul Daly did. Because what Paul Daly did was still a sucker-ass move, but to knock Sergio Pettis out, pound him because of the ref being oblivious, pound him extra, then for no apparent reason, reel back for a soccer kick to his ball. Like, he kicked him in a fashion that he could have kicked him in the balls. Right. It's just like momentum kind of stopped him from doing that. Like, really, I think the UFC should really look at, do we really want this dude around? Because what could possess you? Because it wasn't like there was any bad blood between them. Right. I, I mean, Sergio Pettis doesn't seem like the fighter that, you know, kind of fighter that's going to talk shit while he's fighting. So, like, that reaction was so out of left field. Like, I seriously, seriously, they need to either find the hell out of him, suspend him for a while, or straight up cut him. Because you, you're cutting Jason High after he's getting hurt for pushing a ref. You're banning Paul Daly. This right. dude really... It really takes away from a really good comeback because he got his ass beat in that first round. Yes, he did. To, to come back and and, and knock out a, a really good prospect in Sergio Pettis, it takes a whole lot away from that because now all everybody remembers is the fuck is this dude kicking him and kicking him for? Well, you know what was funny? He got on the interview. He got on the mic. He apologized. He said he was just too into the fight and let his emotion, his emotions get in the way. But like you said, it's just interesting that you would just. Say it was an emotional fight and you were caught up in the moment. What would possess you to reel back and kick him dead in the ass when the guy wasn't even fighting like a dirty fight? You know what I mean? It wasn't like he was pulling a Nick Diaz mm -hmm. or, or or something along those lines. Guy was just fighting his fight. So 
what mindset were you in that you would think that it's that it's a good idea? Oh yeah, I'm so I'm so hyped that I'm gonna kick him right in the ass. Also, completely illegal move. Yep. Completely, you can't soccer kick people. Yep. I mean, you can soccer kick their body, but you can't. I, I would love to. And man, I, I saw the apology. I still think it should be cut. Like, I mean, it takes. You can't do things like that. This is even though this is two dudes fighting, it's right. still a sport. I agree. Stuff like that has no place in MMA. Like, what what are you thinking to reel back and kick him in the ass almost in the ball? Like, what it is? Yep. Like, what what if Sergio Pettis hadn't been knocked out? What what if what if he had just been hurt? Then you reeling back and kicking him in soccer, kicking him in the head. Like, yep. It just. No, nah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't keep him out because really, like, you don't know when's the next time he's gonna get too wrapped up in a fight, right? And do something else stupid. Well, I also, I also want to acknowledge the fact that, and we, and you and I have talked about this in numerous shows. It is the you, the pretty much the un the the unequalness of punishment for some of these shenanigans. Because of course, when Dana was asked about it, yo, man. Where do you stand with this? Oh, you know, the kid got caught up in the moment. He was apologetic, blah, blah, blah. And, of course, as soon as people bring up Paul Daly, they were just like, he was like, yeah, but, you know, Paul Daly didn't apologize. Just Paul Daly went in and did went into business Paul for Daly himself. Paul did apologize. Exactly. That, <laughs> did again, apologize. dude, the Dana White back talk, man, it just, it just never ceases to amaze me. Again, this is how it should be. Depending on the strike, you're getting fined. You know, if it was something that was especially a, a dangerous strike to an opponent, you're getting fined, period. And who knows? Yeah, maybe a suspension or two. Maybe you get a fine and a three-month suspension. It's no different than in the NBA when a punch is thrown on the foul line. You know, yeah. it it should be, listen, I don't think anybody should be cut because, again, it's a combat sport. But. The punishment's got to be across the board. It can't just be this dude got caught up in the moment, but this guy was a dickhead, but this other guy and this other guy really hated each other and shit happens. No, it can't. You can't be, you can't use shit happens on one side and then the guy went into business for himself on the other. I don't even see how that's a negative. Like, I, I, I really don't, like, he kind of, and, and I saw it, he said it like it was a negative. Yep. Like, you cut him. He kind of, his profession is fighting. Thank you. He had to go in business for himself. There you go. <laughs> it's not like Paul Daly could be out here. Paul Daly is not a, Paul Daly hits people for a living. That's, that's his, it. That's his thing. He doesn't have a, other skills. So that, that was a really dumb comment. Yep, it was. It was, a, it was an ass backwards comment. Aside from the fact that, like I said, it's it's the punishment Again, it's that selective mentality that continues to plague the UFC across the board. It's like there should be a UFC, a universal, a universally recognized code of conduct put out by the commission. It's like, yo, post fight shenanigans, whether it's punches, pushes or whatever, will be will fall into the following tiers. It's like if you push a guy after the fight or some shit like that. Whatever, you're going to get fined $1,000. If you hit somebody, depending on the nature of the hit, it's going to be this with this type of a suspension. And let it come straight from the commission. Because if the UFC can't figure out how they're going to fucking base their, their suspensions or, or how they're going to handle post-fight shenanigans, then maybe it shouldn't be in their hands. Period. 
Yeah, but you really don't want to leave it to a commission like Texas. <laughs> you yeah, don't want to leave shit. <laughs> no, I no, and and that you know I understand that, but just think about it. It's like clearly, clearly nobody nobody's playing the game the way it's meant to be played. So it's either you know you you handle it right, or you or you put it in the hands of somebody else. And this is what's going to keep happening. If it starts becoming something that's a problem, people are going to shy away, or they're going to look at the sport differently. I mean, remember what happened with that big bench clearing brawl in the NBA where Meta World Peace went into the stands and beat that guy's ass? Like, everything after that changed. You know that. Everything yeah, nah. changed after that for the league. I was actually watching that game live with my dad. But, yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, it, everything changed. So, yep. I mean, it, I kind of I don't feel like it's, uh, you know, an overreaching problem. It's, it's rare for stuff like this to occur. But you got to make an example out of people when it does. Like, you, you cut Jason High, even though Jason High was instantaneously apologetic. Yep. And probably concussed. <laughs> like, Jason High was – no, it wasn't even probably – he was concussed. Uh, so, you instantaneously cut a guy like Jason High, who, you know, to be honest, was probably going to get cut anyway. But to cut him and say it's because of this, and then, you know, Ryan Ben Wong's out here kicking people in yep. the ass, it just – it, t- it takes away from what was actually a really good win. Yep, it does. But the other thing is, like I said, it's like you're going into all these other instances and every other instance of post-fight conduct, male and female, because you know what happened with the ladies not too long ago too, Dana White's like, oh, but it's always a, 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 a but X. It's like, no, 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 no. You, you, you know, you conduct your, yourself as such. You have to pay the price across the board. You can't, you can't do that, man. It's just, again, this goes back to the whole thing. It's like, yo, if I'm not this particular fighter, I could get away with it. You're kidding me, right? Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. So hopefully, hopefully something happens to him. Uh, I just, I, I really, it, I, it really bugged me that, that that even occurred. Yeah, it was, it was, it was insanity at its best. I was thoroughly impressed, man, with Ross Pearson's finish of Sam Stout. Sam Stout is no slouch, man. And that was a nasty left yeah. hook. Yeah, Sam Stout is still uh I mean, he he is one of has one of the toughest chin or had one of the toughest chins in MMA and to see him move like that and this and the fight before this, it, it really brings you know, brings it to the point that, you know, it's probably time for him to transition into coaching. Um, but Ross Pearson looked good. Um, that left hand was was crisp, clean. Yep. He he deserved that win. <laughs> what did you think of Henry Cajudo's fight to get the the ball rolling on the pay per view side, man? I kind of feel they invested all this hype in the dude, and I think part of it is is the weight cut still between you and I. I think mm-hmm. it's like I, it's like I still think this dude's gonna have problems dropping that to one twenty five. But I mean, the fight was okay. I don't know. I don't know how he's trying to go out there and, you know, Joe Rogan trying to set it up for him to call out Demetrius Johnson. It's like, yo, you're nowhere oh near ready for that. So cut the shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, I don't, I don't think that's Henry Cejudo. Like, I don't think Cejudo wants that yet. No, no, I no. I think the, they were the, trying to the set UFC that up. 125 of it, oh, yeah. The 125 <laughs> division it, right now, unfortunately, is really shallow. Like, there's no, like, in lightweight, you have, like, a... a a, a, a building progression before you get to the top five guys. Right. And the, in the flyweight division, there isn't. 
you go from a Chris Carriasso up to Joseph Benavidez, Demetrius Johnson, John, you go up right up to those dudes. And like, it really isn't a building process because they don't have enough people yet. Uh, but outside of that, here's who to look really good. Um, I personally don't think he should stay at 125, especially if it's a super big issue to cut. Yep. Um, I mean, he looks fine at the weigh-ins, weigh-ins, excuse me. But I, I, I kind of feel like he has that wrestling mentality, which is something, you know, I, I can – I'm not relate to because I'm fat now. But <laughs> <laughs> but when I was wrestling, like when, when I was wrestling, you wanted to get down as low as humanly possible in weight and then rehydrate, he kind of give you a strength advantage, which is not entirely accurate, but it's what we were taught. And I, I kind of feel like he has that mentality, like, I can get to 125, so that's where I need to be. It's not like he looked bad or anything like that. He looked good. I mean, he his wrestling looked really good. His striking looked really good. Um, he he looked really good. But I just feel like he, he looked also looked really good at 135. Yep. So, I mean, if, if it becomes a, an issue that he can't continuously get down, um, then, you know, he should definitely go back up to 135, and I think he'll do fine. But, I mean, if he can, if he can keep getting down, I think they, at some point, have a feasible challenger for Demetrius Johnson, just not right away. Well, the other thing I was thinking was I started seeing parallels to, you know, Anthony Rumble Johnson with the weight cut. Not to say, again, his performance was solid, but you just look at the guy's frame, and you're like, eh, I don't see this guy really being a 125-er. Like I see him either a one thirty five yeah. or even a one forty five probably. I don't know about one forty five because he is like five three, five four, and he would be really really short at one forty five. But like at one thirty five, I think he'd be good. I mean, if he can same thing. I mean, I felt the same way about Anthony Johnson when Anthony Johnson was at one seventy. <laughs> if he can make the weight healthy, right? Then I don't have a problem with him getting there. It's just, do you really want to? destroy your body to get to that weight all the time. Exactly. So, so, I mean, like, like, you know, if he can get there healthy, if he's got a good nutritionist now, if he's not trying to do it, you know, the old school wrestler way, drink, you know, get, get the sweat suit and just start running. Then, yeah. But if, if he, if he has another issue where, you know, they got to send him to the hospital, uh, from a weight cut, then he definitely should never be able to fight there again. Well, you know, it, it was it was a, a solid performance. Like I said, I commend Joe Rogan for trying to set that up. He was like, "Yeah, I'll just take a top five guy." It's like, oh, you know, Demetrius Johnson. I'm like, I'm like Joe, stop it. Just let the dude rock. Stop trying to play matchmaker. You're feeding the dude to the wolves. It's like Demetrius Johnson right now is contemplating taking a super fight because because there's nothing else for him. Let's be realistic. It's like what you just said. The division isn't that deep, and after three fights, a guy's a number one contender. Yeah, I mean, sometimes <laughs> not even three fights. Yep. I mean, it's like one fight, and now you're fighting for the title. Like, yep. it's just, you can't, you can't, like, just rush people into that. Oh, absolutely Because they not. were just all worried by Demetrius Johnson. Absolutely not. Uh, switching gears, man, Alistair Overeem surprised me for taking some of the shots he took against Roy Nelson. Because, you know, we always talk about uh, Overeem's chin and, you know, how it's suspect in some fights. But he ate some clean ones from Roy Nelson. Yeah, I mean, Overeem is the definition of a glass cannon. <laughs> but uh, he did he did really, really well in this fight. Um, I think working at Greg Jackson, um, Jackson Winkledon, has helped him a lot. Yep. Because I feel like something that he always had was his, like, uber-aggressive nature. 
and like it hurt him a lot because his chin wasn't good enough for the way he was fighting. Right. So like he, he if he if he didn't destroy you, you were going to knock him out. Exactly. And I feel like going to Jackson's really helped him in footwork. You know, his footwork looked really good. Um, he just he looked overall he looked really good. I mean, really clean footwork, really good knees, elbows, kicks. Roy, I mean, Roy Nelson took a lot of that right on the chin. Yep. Um. So, although I think this Roy Nelson should stop doing that. I don't. I don't think that's the most plausible way to have any sort of career after fighting. Nope. When you can't remember your own name from these beatings he keeps taking, but <laughs> um, he, you know, absolutely looked really good, dude. In that second round, when he was taking some of those body kicks, it was like Roy Nelson's body. Roy Nelson's body looked magenta at one point. I was like, oh my god! Like you could see, you could yeah. see where they were where they were pulling that. You know, where he was really putting in that work. You know, he's putting in a lot of the work on the body, trying to really get more aggressive. Like, you know, Overeem usually try, he comes in, tries to use a little bit of, of the more of the stand up, and then he just tries to set that up and go for, and go for broke with a, with a knockout. But he was really setting up a lot of mm-hmm. good combinations, working the body. And Roy Nelson, it's like even though people shit on Roy Nelson, if Roy Nelson probably dedicated himself just a little bit more, Roy Nelson could probably make two oh five. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little late now because yeah. he's like forty. But <laughs> like, if he or about to be forty, but if he had applied himself when he was younger, he could have made two hundred five. There's no reason he couldn't have made two hundred five. There's a lot of belly fat there that can disappear. So I tell you, he could have made two hundred five. But no, go ahead. Oh, oh no, I was good. No, I was gonna say, you know, Roy Nelson, Roy Nelson's hands <clears throat> are are a tremendous addition. I mean, you know, the, the, the Keith in the chat said it. Roy got them hands, and it's true. Roy Nelson's hands, it's like the guy has an incredible jujitsu game, and the guy doesn't even need to use it because those hands are just ridiculous. Like, it wasn't like when he fought Kimbo yeah, Slice but... and, he, and, he, and he pretty much suffocated Kimbo Slice with his stomach. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, Roy Nelson should probably think about using that jujitsu game more often. Yep. Like... I mean, at this point in his career, because, I mean, the more athletic fighters, the, the fighters that are better technically bo- te- technical on the feet are going to just hurt him. Like, it, it, it's become clear. Like, he should probably think about start taking people down, if he wants to continue to fight, start taking people down and trying to tap them. And he, and he could, because he's got the tools for that. Yeah. But, you know, the thing that gets me, it's like him, Frank Mir. You're looking at all these guys, you know, so a lot of these these uh, more established heavyweights, and a lot of them just got amazing ground game. But they're like, nah, we're just gonna stand because you know I got knockout power, and it's and while that's all that's great to to you know give <clears throat> go back to what you said, it's like yeah, but you're shortening your 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 lifespan. Exactly. So, I mean, him and Frank, I mean, him and Frank Mir. Um, <laughs> Frank Mir should not look at this fight with Bigfoot and be like, yeah, yeah. Oh, I can knock everybody out now. No, you should be start take people down and trying to tap them because it's just it's not because somebody's going to hit you and hurt you. No, it's true. It, it it is definitely true. I was really surprised that Matt Brown and Johnny Hendricks fight was as violent as it was, but it didn't end in a violent fashion. But I also have to say that that's a testament to Matt Brown being a warrior because that dude. It's like you know Johnny Hendricks got got nuclear weapons for fists. <laughs> and Matt Brown went in there, gave 
gave no kind of a fuck to go in there to, to to stand and bang with him. It was it was tremendous. I mean, Hendricks looked great overall, but Matt Brown definitely no slouch in that fight. Oh, Matt Brown was excellent. Uh, I, mean, I mean, excuse me, Hendricks looks excellent. Matt Brown looked good too, but I mean, and, and it's kind of kind of become kind of Hendricks' calling card because he did the same thing to Condit. When you're a really aggressive Muay Thai style striker, he's going to run you into the cage and take you down repeatedly. Um, and he did it in this fight, and it was fun to watch. Um, I didn't get the, the, the some of the notions on the internet of lay and pray. This was not lay and pray. No, I don't think That's so. That's all Ben Askren saying this is lay and pray. Like, uh, no, <laughs> not at all. Um, he was taking him down. He's beating him on the feet. Um, he, he looked, down here just looked good. Um, it, it sucks for Matt Brown losing, but, uh, you know, they, hopefully they do do the college comment fight that I've, I've heard they're going to try to do. With Matt Brown, because that'll be a hell of a fight. But that'll be an awesome um, fight. I, I just didn't agree with the consternation, the consternation that Johnny Hendricks was getting. I know Dana White said he wasn't impressed, and just which is a whole other topic. But you know, it it, it it was weird to me hearing people say it was laying prey. Yeah, I don't think I don't think so. Only because Johnny Hendricks respected Matt Brown's hands enough that he had to go to what works. I mean, a lot of people don't get me wrong, laying prey. We we all want to see sprawl and brawl. We all want to see you know five you know five rounds of of just fisticuffs. But you also have to remember that the guys that have a certain discipline that's their bread and butter, sometimes they're gonna want to go to that if they know that it's their best chance of winning. If you're not knocking the guy out, then you gotta go to with what you know. I mean, a lot of people give Ben Askren shit, but the same people that give him shit aren't stepping in the cage with him. You know, and yeah, John I mean, and Johnny Hendricks, he respected Matt Brown's hands. You know, he was like, "Listen, you know, it, it's like it's like Johnny Hendricks knew, yo, I could stand with this dude, and one of us is gonna put the other guy to sleep. But I'm trying to win this fight and get back in title contention. So he's not gonna go out there and go for broke. It's not happening. Yeah. So yeah. So I I, th- I thought he looked good. I mean. <laughs> I don't know what the people expected him to do in this fight, but he looked really good to me. Um, I look forward to whoever he ends up fighting next. Uh, although I, I think it'll be Robbie Lawler, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's uh, um, wow, Roy McDonald. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing who, whichever one of those matchups come up next. You think Roy McDonald could take could take um, the ruthless one? Uh, I I do um, really. I mean, in that first fight, he, in, this, in that first fight, I know a lot of people because I, I rewatched that fight recently. Like in that first fight, a lot of people seem to uh, think that Robbie Waller won every round. When in fact, he actually won maybe one and a half because he was losing. He lost the first round, lost a big chunk of the sec- uh, third round before Roy McDonald's kind of. I don't know if slowed down, but kind of like let up on the gas and got got hurt. Right. So I I don't think I don't think it'll be a blowout by any means. I just think it's a really really close fight because Roy McDonald for I mean his weird and he is weird his weird like Norman Bates psycho kind of vibe. He's an amazing fighter. He he is a really good fighter, and I I think the second time around. I, I just think there's a chance he can beat Robbie Lawler. Now I don't think he will, but I think there's a very good chance he'll beat Robbie Lawler. He could, he could beat Robbie Lawler. 
Well, there were a lot of rumors floating around because, you know, Ben Askren was hanging out, you know, with a couple of the UFC guys. And, you know, there were there were rumors of, of possible offers being made. And again, take those as rumors. But, uh, you know, to address that and, and play a little, uh, you know, a little armchair matchmaker here. If, if Ben Askren came into the UFC, should he get an immediate title shot? Uh, no. Nope. <laughs> uh, no, um, I'd make him fight uh, one of, somebody in top five. Um, I, I can't think of anybody at the top of my head, but somebody in top five. Only because unless Ben Askren can, unless Ben Askren has been just not striking in these other organizations because he was waiting to get to the UFC. Right. I just don't believe, and we saw it in in the fight we're about to talk about. Someone who's strictly a grappler can do anything in UFC. Like, you're not... Against lower-level competitions, you'll be able to outgrapple them. But when you get to somebody who can stuff your takedown, which I think a Johnny Hendricks could, which a Robbie Lawler could, which a Roy McDonald could, and they make you fight them on the feet, and you're stuck there, I just don't see him having the requisite skills to do anything against those guys. Now, I could be wrong, but I, I just don't think he's so good of a wrestler that he's going to be able to take those guys down and just smother them. So I, I would give him a top five guy just to see what he looks like in UFC. And then, you know, like everybody else, he gets his day in court with the welterweight champion, and and we'll see. But I, I just don't – I don't know. Like, I, I know what Ben Askin does is really technically really proficient. Right. But, like, he hasn't fought anyone. Like, I mean, the best guy he fought was Douglas Lima. And Douglas Lima didn't look bad against him. In fact, Douglas Lima, I think, hurt him at one point and almost passed him. So, I mean, I just <laughs> – he hasn't fought anyone at the level of those three guys I just named. Would it be wrong of me to say that I'd, I'd, get, I'd love to see a Ben Askren-Nick Diaz fight? Um, It'd be fun to hear them talk to yep. each other. <laughs> the fight would be boring as shit. You think so? It would be boring as hell. Like what is what is Nick Diaz going to do to Ben Askren besides get taken down over and over again? I don't know, man. You know Nick Diaz on the ground is no slouch though. Yeah, but like, <laughs> when's the last time Nick Diaz actually tapped somebody? Like Nick Diaz is an ex- excellent grappler. I'm not, I'm not I'm not trying to say he's not, but like MMA is a little bit different. Like you, I don't see <laughs> him being able to like. Tap Ben Askren. I see him just getting taken down a bunch of times. You think so? You know what it is? Like, I always look at this also because I'm also looking at that division. And that division, when you look at that upper class, like we were talking, like you were mentioning before, you know, that top five. And you bring in a guy like Ben Askren who comes in, you know, a lot of gold behind him, a lot of a lot of fanfare behind him. You also want to put him in there with the, for a guy, for a good test for him would be Nick Diaz from a money fight. Because, you know, Ben Askren's trying to get paid, too. But it's yeah. like it's like what you just said. On the flip side, he could get exposed because that Stockton, that Stockton slap could get could get his lunch money taken away from him real quick. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not trying to say Nick Diaz is not a good fighter. I mean, Nick, there's a lot of fighters Nick Diaz could beat. I just don't. <laughs> Nick Diaz's issue is stopping takedowns. And... That is all Ben Ashton does. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's really not much else to Ben Ashton's game besides takedowns. 
And I just don't see Nick Diaz being able to do really anything since <laughs> Ben Askren. I'd, I'd like to see that. Like I said, I think that would be a good way to, A, I, I think Nick Diaz would take that fight because he knows the money would be good. B, if they go, yo, if you beat this dude, you get a title shot. It's a, it's a good dangling carrot. Because oh, yeah. at this point, it's like, what? It's like, yeah, he got popped for smoking weed, but so what? Yeah. You know, I mean, like, we'll see. We'll we'll see because you know Nick Diaz is gonna fight again. So, absolutely. Um, let's talk about the women's strawweight title fight. Uh, Joanna Judezic, uh took it to Carla Esparza. It was, uh, it, it would be a disservice to Carla to say that she pretty much got her lunch money taken in this fight. But we got to call a spade a spade, and that's what happened. Yeah, one sided as fuck. Um. <laughs> And and I, and I and I said this, and I remember saying this to you. Like you did. I don't think she's the best in that division. I, I did. I did. Carla Esparza is a good fighter. Yep. She was the best fighter on that show. Exactly. And honestly, that show had a lot of fighters that weren't that experienced. Rose Namajunas has four fights. Yep. <laughs> like there weren't a, like I mean yeah I wanted her to beat Carla Esparza but I knew it was probably not going to happen because she only has four fights. And it's not like she, I mean, she, she stopped in the, um, the hot water really quickly, which is why she's two and two. But, like, I didn't think she was better. I didn't even think she was better than Joanne Calderwood, who was on the show with her. They just didn't end up in the same bracket. That's right. Um, so, <laughs> there's like five, five-ish women I would to, uh, think would beat her. Joanna Jo, uh, Joanna Johannesburg. Joanna Johannesburg. her name. <laughs> JJ. You just go JJ. with JJ. Yeah, JJ. <laughs> uh, JJ beat the hell out of her. Um, yep. And I, I, the first takedown, when she got that first takedown and was able to get right back up, I was like, man, this fight over. Yep. Like, and right then, because if she couldn't take her down, there was nothing Carla Esparza was going to do to this woman. And it almost seemed like Carla Esparza forgot all all basic boxing fundamental fundamentals. Her hands were like at a waist. She was she was getting hit in the face over and over again. It was it was. I I don't want to say she quit. She didn't quit, but I think she realized really was, that the bread and butter wasn't working. Yeah, well, then go to something else. And it was almost as if she like just once she saw her takedown wasn't working, she checked out completely. Like just mentally was like, well, this is yep. not my night. That's it. And which is the biggest difference between the two title fights. Like, she stopped, because she could have kept fighting. She just stopped trying to defend herself, stopped trying anything. She stopped trying to do anything differently. She, because she came in on the, the takedown the same way over and over again. And it just, and by the end of that second round, I mean, it was, I mean, it was, by the middle of the second round, it was, academic like there was nothing she was doing to stop the beating she was taking yeah that beating that beating she took and you know it was crazy because everybody's like oh you see you know carla got exposed blah 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 nope and i and i just want to tell people the naysayers it's like she didn't get exposed in that fight it was just a different level of technique at work it's no different than 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 if if she was the most dominant wrestler yeah you're gonna be the most dominant wrestler up until you get punched in the face. And if you're not ready for that, then it's not it's not going to work the same. I mean, when she fought on the show, 
yeah, she took hits from chicks, but she's not taking hits from women that are that that that's all they train. You know what I mean? Like, I always felt that Carla Sparza, her wrestling was her bread and butter. But I also feel that she didn't she didn't aggressively work on her stand up as much. Like every time you follow her on social media, you see her drilling more wrestling, drilling more wrestling, drilling more jujitsu. It's like you got to be ready to punch somebody in the face. Yeah, and that's just not going to work in this division. Like, I mean, because <laughs> she would have lost, honestly, I mean, she would have typed out by Claudia Gardella. I, I mean, yep. like, she was not, I think Alexa Grazo, who's not even in the UFC yet, would beat her. I think um, Minyaki Inoue, and I'll probably slaughter her first name, uh, who fought Alexa Grazo would beat her. Like, there's a bunch of women. Like, she's just, her game is not developed enough for me right. to call her that great of a that great of not great that good of a fighter now with uh jj like i, I think she'll hold on to the belt for a while um i mean because i mean I, I don't know who they fight uh match up against next um i'm, I'm probably joanna calderwood um and that'll be a hell of a stand-up fight but i, I can't be. wait to see that fight Jo- Joanne Calderwood would be a problem. Everybody's talking about, and it, and it's fucked up too. And we've talked about this. Everybody's talking about the Paige Van Zant Felice Herrick fight, and it's like, yeah, that fight's all well and good, and it's on the poster, but neither one of them chicks are touching a belt anytime soon. Hate to say. Let it. me say this about Paige Van Zant. Paige Van Zant would get fucked all the way up, but <laughs> like, <laughs> it wouldn't even be this fight with that. Paige Van Zandt maybe one day will develop into a good MMA fighter. Right. She is not one right now. No. Nope. She is not. She she is attractive. That is it. She is an attractive athlete. Cause, like her MMA, there's nothing about her MMA game. Like uh, really good fighters to me have something they distinctly do well. Paige Van Zandt doesn't have that. Right. She can do things, but she doesn't do anything distinctly well except look attractive. Well, look that at Michelle Waterson. Michelle Waterson is a problem, but you put her in Michelle there. Michelle Waterson beat the shit out of Paige Van Zandt. There you go. <laughs> there you go. But but you see what I'm saying. The thing is that people, a lot of people were upset, you know, that they put them on the poster because it's like, really? That's on the poster? You're kidding, right? But then it's like, this is all a marketing game too. But you also got to look at it like now you have this division where you have this super dominant champion not not on the level of ronda rousey yet but you do have a champion who is is not is not afraid to go in there and and really damage some chicks uh uh beauty pageant aspirations <laughs> you know what i mean like like you can't go in there oh yeah you know we're just gonna we're gonna have ourselves a a, a gentlemanly scrap that's not gonna happen <laughs> you know this chick this chick uh, going JJ ain't about that life. Nope. She she about that hurting you. That's it. That's what she likes to do. That's it. She's all she's all she, she pushed the pace, man. She pushed the pace and she broke Carla's spirit mentally. Yeah, so I mean I hope I hope I hope I hope they're not rushing. It would be bad for them to rush Payton Van Zan into the title fight. Yep. Um it it would be really bad for them. So I hope it. I hope it's Claudia Gadella or Joanne Calderwood that gets the next fight, and then you know, because I've heard rumors of Michelle Waterson coming over to UFC to fight at 115. Of course, you know, one of those guys, and like you know, Alexis Grazo's coming at some point because you know, they kind of own Invicta or something where they could just take Invicta fighters. So 
like you're, you're going to get better fighters than 115. Right. That that one, if if we really, if it's that big a deal to people, are kind of attractive, <laughs> and we can move on from Paige Van Zandt and having to hear about her at yeah, all. Dude. Yeah, you know they they're going they're going hard with that. Especially like I said, you know they did the Reebok event down here, and um, the Reebok event down here was John Jones, which is a given, Ronda, which is a given, um, our buddy Conor McGregor, which again is a given, and then it's like and Paige Van Zant, and I'm like, whoa, 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 what? <laughs> One of these things is not like, like the others. Yep, I was like, <laughs> all right, you know, and even even with Conor, like like with Conor, it's like, yeah, we got it, you know. We we got why they why they got you here, but it's like don't. But the thing with Connor is he could still actually fight. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, Connor, a lot of what Connor, a lot of what Connor. I had a conversation with a friend yesterday, uh, a couple of days ago, because he was like, "Well, Connor McGregor just talks. Well, he could still fight though. Like they they're not actually like giving him people that are like they're just bodies in the cage. It's Dennis Seaver might have been, but like <laughs> like that's the is a fighter and he dispatched him like he wasn't even there. Like he can actually fight. This is true. Now, now I think he's going to be his ass beat by Aldo, but he can fight. So I understand giving him the deal. We ain't seen Paige Van Zandt but one time in the UFC. That's it. Well, the 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 big one. Let's talk about a uh, the bad night for the Pettis boys. Anthony Pettis, Rafael dos Anjos, um, lightweight title fight, tremendous performance. From Rafael dos Anjos, I really I applauded what he said post fight. He's like, "Yo, nobody's whooping my ass in front of my kids." Like, you got to give that guy <laughs> all the respect in the world because he went in there with a torn MCL, giving no kind of a fuck, and he took it to Anthony Pettis. It wasn't even like, "Oh, you know, I got my torn MCL. I'm gonna fight safe." Again, this was something that was mentioned in the chat. You know, you got to go out there ready to die on your shield when it comes to these title fights. You can't even trip. Yeah. Um, Javier Dos Anjos had one of the best game plans I've seen since Cain Velasquez beat Junior Dos Santos the second and third time. He basically gave Anthony Pettis no room to operate. Anthony Pettis needs room to do things. The problem, the thing given Melinda has messed up with when is in one exchange, and this is all Anthony Pettis really needs against you, is he gave him too much space, got clipped, got tapped. That's all it takes against Anthony Pettis. Rafael de Sanos gave him no time to do anything like that. Nope. Now, given it might have had to do with uh, supposedly, and it come out that he had a broken orbital bone, like in the, his first punch might have blinded him in one eye, which is entirely feasible, and I'll talk about that in a second, which might have hurt his you know depth perception and what he could do in the fight. But that doesn't change the fact that Javier Desanos did an excellent job from bell to bell, really, of beating the champion. Um, and I mean, you know, he, he looked really good. And it's crazy to think Javier Desanos was one, at one time the guy who got uppercutted into the level above the level by Jeremy Stevens, Mortal Kombat style. That's right. So it's, it's, hard, it's hard to believe this is that guy. But he's, he's improved dramatically. Uh, over the last couple of years, and and I'm happy for him to win the title. I like I said, I I I would, when I found out, I'm like, dude went in there with a torn MCL, and it's like you could have fooled me in that fight that he had a torn MCL because he was he was working it inside leg kicks, you know he was he was putting in a major clinic, major clinic. 
Yeah, but I mean, when, when I hear torn MCL, I mean, you could still do a lot on a torn MCL. Um, now, and it's still an injury, and some fighters will pull it out, but you can still do it. Do it. Now, if he had said I went in there with torn MCL, I would have called him stupid. But, <laughs> like, but uh, yeah, I mean, he, I mean, yeah, the torn MCL is an injury, but it's not like you know one of the major like you can't walk like, kind of things. Um, but yeah, I mean, he did he did an excellent job. One of the one of the the most interesting things to me was. And once again, it might have had something to do with Anthony Pettis not being able to see that one eye, but the way he was able to beat Pettis on the feet, I've never seen anyone straight out outstrike Anthony Pettis. Um, this is the only time I've ever seen Anthony Pettis really beaten up, because honestly, I thought he beat Bar Pelaseski in the WC, and I thought he beat Clay Guida, because Clay Guida literally did nothing um, that entire fight, but get kicked in the face and lay in guard. But, um, I mean, this is the first time you've ever seen Anthony Pettis legitimately, in my mind, beaten. So, um, I mean, good, good for the Harvey other Sanders. They had an excellent game plan, unlike Duke Rufus. Well, the thing, the thing is, and and you know, going back to what you were saying about Anthony Pettis need, needing space, a lot of people they look at this fight and they're like, oh, you know, uh, again, the the Monday the Monday morning analysts were already, oh, you see how Anthony Pettis got exposed? He couldn't pull all that flashy shit. <laughs> And I'm just like, you do realize that this dude do- doesn't need the flashy shit. The flashy shit is nice, and it's great, and it got him a ton of highlight reels and a cover of a fucking Wheaties box, but the dude could still get the damn job done, and that's what bothers me. I mean, you know, like I said, I, I respected Rafael de Sanjos, the way he went in there, he co- the way he conducted himself, the way he approached the fight. He was methodical, mm-hmm. and... um. To quote what the Keith said in the chat, he puts Pettis needed a loss to get the hunger back, and that's exactly it. You know, when you're walking around with the snug suit, I don't suit. think that's really the issue. <laughs> well, you know what it is. I also like, feel, I also feel that, that not to cut you off. I, I, I the reason that I'm agreeing with that statement is because think about it. You're a guy that has all these highlight reel moments, all these amazing moments. You got the Wheaties box. You got all this mainstream press. You're an ambassador for the sport. It's great. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying he got into into you know Rocky Balboa when when he was gonna fight Mr. T, but I do feel that all that other stuff was a distraction. You get what I'm saying? I think okay to some extent, yeah, maybe. But like, I mean, I, I just have <laughs> I, I, like you were saying the Monday morning quarterback thing. Like, first of all, first of all, let me address that. First of all. What Rafael Desanio said, ninety nine percent of people can't do. There you go. First off, uh, like I kept hearing people like, "Oh, all you got to do is run him into the cage." Really? Because Gilbert Melendez did that too. It lasted two rounds. There you go. Like, that's not how you beat Anthony Pettis. Second of all, he doesn't like you said doesn't need to beat you with a flashy shit. Nope. It just looks cool. He doesn't actually need that stuff. That's He'd be right. an excellent fighter without ever doing the Showtime kick. That was he'd be an amazing fighter without that. Um, thirdly, like, I, I don't think necessarily because, because I, 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 a lot of, like, I hear this a lot from people like, uh, he wasn't hungry or blah, blah, blah something like that. I don't think that, cause I think he wants to win just as much as Rafael Desario. Right. I just feel like, especially in this fight, Duke Rufus and his corner let him down because if yeah. you hear their commentary, 
it was almost as if they just assumed he would knock him out. Right. Like, he, he kept saying, and he said from round two on, you can hear in his corner, I cannot see out of my left eye. I cannot see. They're yep. like, knock him out anyway. That was literally their advice. Knock him out anyway. I can't, he, he literally, multiple times, I cannot see out of my left eye. Knock him out anyway. Well, he has no depth perception, so yep. he really can't do that. That's right. <laughs> like, like I, I, I just have this, and, and this is something with MMA that is one of my pet peeves about MMA. It, it's such a macho man, he-man sport that a lot of times I feel like corners and fighters don't take into account their own personal safety in these situations. Of course. If he can't see out his eye, call the fight. Because if you explain it to the UFC, I guarantee you he, either he'll have to do one fight, it'll be some warm-up fight, and then he'll get another title shot, or they'll do a rematch. You don't want to put your fighter out in this situation because he has a broken orbital. What if he got a detached retina? Because he, what if he got with a detached retina? And no. if you let him keep fighting, that could end his career completely. No, I understand totally. And, just, and, and, and they had a fighter, and Alan Belcher, a fighter from their gym, had this issue. Yep. And the fact that they kept letting him fight, it just irked me hearing his corner do that. Like, dude, just call the fight. Just it, take it out of the hand of your fight because your fighter still gonna want to fight. Because I don't think Anthony Pettis was saying that like I don't want to fight anymore. He was saying that like, dude, I can't see. Like it wasn't like I I don't want to fight. It was I can't like literally like just I can't see. Like you're telling me information, blah blah. I really can't see him. Some right. advice would be helpful, and they weren't giving him any. Nope. So, and and also I don't really know what the game plan was. Didn't seem like there was one. It was really just like, hey, go out there and knock him out. Like, he just didn't seem, like, it was clear Rafael Zizanio in his corner had a game plan. It That's wasn't right. very clear from Pettis' corner. It was just like, hey, go knock him out. So, I, I just, I, I don't think he should leave, leave, leave Rufus, because I don't think he will, ever. No. But I just, I, just feel, I just feel like they let him down in this fight. And I, I just, it's just something that irks me about MMA, this, this he-man mentality, like, yo, you know, even though I can't see, I got to, torn me, I can't feel my arm, I'm just keep fighting, there's no need to. Because in boxing they don't do that. Nope. Let Floyd Mayweather not be able to see. They call him that fight. And, and, he, and no one will say anything negative about You might have some, the, the people that don't understand will say something negative about him, but the people in the know will be like, hey, he's protecting himself for the next fight. No, and it is, it, it, that was something that irks me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't disagree, like I said. I just feel that when, when all that extra shit, all that that stuff he was doing, or you know, all that that free press and stuff. While I understand it's part of the, um, you know, he's um, it, it like it's part of his yeah, commitment. Definitely. But I just feel that it takes away from preparation. You know what I mean? Like if you're out there doing all this extra press, that's extra time you could spend in the gym. You know, extra time you could spend working on shit. Again, not to say that he shouldn't, that no fighter should have to deal with those commitments, but I do feel that when it comes to title fights, that shit's a fucking distraction. Yeah, but, and, and this is what comes back to the corner. Yep. You know, John Jones has distractions. Greg Jansen and Michael Winkeljohn, they got him ready for every fight, though. Exactly. Like, he, he has a bunch of shit he's got to do, but every fight, he, he, he's ready for the fight. Well, like, Ronda, too. He can too. do these things. Ronda, Ronda too. Ronda goes do does movies, even though I think her coach is kind of a douchebag. Yeah. His coach is kind of a douche, but he knows what he's talking about, at least with her, not all his writers. 
because I don't think he has another fighter that's actually good. But at least with her, he knows what he's doing. Greg Jackson and Mike Winklejohn, they know what they're doing because they they can ha- they they'll let go John Jones go off and do his media obligations, what he's got to do. But when he comes to the gym, they've got his game plan set up for him, right? And they have like it's, it's something set up. And I just felt like Duke Rufus. I, I kind of feel like Rufus more than Pettis was wrapped up in like, dude, I got this fighter that can jump off cages. Like that's not what you should be building game plans for. This is true at all. <laughs> Like, true. This, uh, it is. It is. It, I don't know. Like, cause like even when I when I was watching the the um, the uh, the, the build up down yeah. when when Duke Rufus was talking, it was almost like he was he was hyping Pettis up more than Pettis was hyping himself. Yep. And I kind of felt like Duke Rufus was almost like so enamored with like, yeah, I built this MMA fighter. I built I built this great fighter. Like, what are you doing to help him pass that point? Because it's, it's great to get to the mountaintop, but one of the, the biggest things is to stay there. That's right. And I just felt like there was no real – I didn't even think there was a real game plan for giving Melinda a fight. Nope. Like, I, I, I just think Anthony Pettis was able to win that fight. I just don't think there was an actual game plan. I don't, so, I don't disagree. And maybe I'm wrong. I could be completely wrong. But, but I just – it just when I watch Anthony Pettis fight, he's such a, gr- a great, superb athlete that it, it almost seems like they just take for granted the other parts. No, I agree. Well, on on the subject of that, the uh, the performance bonuses that were handed out were indicative of that. Uh, Rafael DeSanjos took a nice 50K performance bonus. Uh, Joanna Juzezic took one as well. So did Ross Pearson and uh, Benil Dariush. They all took $50,000 bonuses. But for all, the, for all the pomp and circumstance on the UFC side of things, Bellator was all about dudes getting popped for drugs this week. Uh, Alexander Shlomenko tested positive for ele- elevated testosterone following his knockout victory of Melvin Manoff on February 13th. Um, in addition to that, if the results are upheld, of course, he's going to be suspended and his, excuse me, his win will be overturned. On the flip side, Emmanuel Newton popped with the weed. Three-month suspension, fine $3,000. I mean, uh, I mean, I, the weed, I don't really give a shit about. But... Right. The, the, the testosterone, like, dude, come on, man. Like, uh, this is not the time to be being popped with drug charges after Anderson Silva supposedly about to be suspended for a year and a half. This is not the time. <laughs> Just, I, I don't know. Like, Bellator, I know the UFC is about to do a drug policy. Bellator needs to look into one, too. Yep, it's getting crazy. I um I also wanted to bring up what's going on with Mark Coleman. Uh, he set up a GoFundMe campaign to help pay his medical bills. Um, I believe um, Mark Hunt donated, I think, 5000 to $10,000. And his GoFundMe campaign already got $10,000 in a day. Um, a lot of really bad injuries. It's really weird, though, that guys like this that are Hall- UFC Hall of Famers got to rely on charity for post-fight, for post-fight career care. I mean, is that is that wrong of me to think that? Well, I mean, independent contractors. Yep. <laughs> like, I mean, that's how the UFC looks at them. I, I don't know how the WWE uh, handles this kind of stuff, but, uh, I mean, UFC uh, is not going to pay for every old uh, fighter's injuries. Um, I'm sure, like, if GSP, like, 20 days down the road needs a hip replacement, they'll probably pay <laughs> for his. Right. 
but they're probably not paying for Mark Coleman's. <laughs> like, it just, uh, unfortunately, being an independent contractor doesn't really lend itself to you getting real health benefits. Would you would you agree? And somebody actually suggested this. Maybe the UFC give him like a little part time gig, some sort of an ambassador job, just so that the dude can make some money. Honestly, yeah, um, I feel like they, they should do something for him. Um, and and honestly, I mean, I I, I don't necessarily feel like it's a hundred percent their responsibility to do so. But if they wanted to, kind of you know give give you know, some goodwill, whatever, I, I think they should, um, they should really like, you know, look into doing that. Yeah. I figured I would run that by you only because it was an interesting way that it was put out there, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it sucks, but I mean, you, you down the road, you're going to see a lot of fighters like that. Yeah. I figured, I figured I would acknowledge that at least um, for those of you that are interested, I'll put his, uh, his GoFundMe campaign link in the show notes. Uh, last thing to wrap things up, UFC announced that they have three dates set up for some expansion. They're going to San Diego for a Fox Sports 1 card. They're hitting up Nashville for another Fox Sports 1 card, and they're heading to Houston uh, for UFC 192. Plus, we got that uh, Maya LaFleur card this weekend as well. Yeah. Ryan LaFleur and Damian Miles. That's <laughs> oh, yeah. a main event. Yep, that's a barn burner, ladies and gentlemen. Great main event right there. <laughs> um, you just can hear to, all the excitement in my voice. Absolutely, but in any case, I'm sure I'm sure I'll, I'll DVR it and watch it. Um, just to wrap things up, I'm, uh, you guys doing a uh, Black is the New Black this week? We we definitely are. Um, it's probably going to be Friday. Gotcha. I have a new job, so yeah, they're 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 working working the hell out of me at the moment. But um, yeah, we're probably gonna do one Friday, so you guys definitely check out uh, Black and New Black. Um, we just had a new episode go up was like last Friday or Saturday yep, or something last like Friday. that. Um, yep. So we'll we'll have a new episode detailing our trip to WizardCon and Raleigh and and you know all our, our normal shenanigans. There you go. As always, you can follow Ben on Twitter at Blackout89, B-L-A-Q-O-U-T, the number 89. Anything else you wanted to add? Nope. Uh, that's about it. All right, brother. I appreciate you calling in this week, as always. All right, man. Peace. All right, brother. Peace. All right, ladies and gents, that's our very own Ben. You can follow him on Twitter, like I said, at Blackout89. You can also interact with him on our Facebook fan page, Talking MMA, comics, you name it. Ben got his hands in a couple of different in a couple of different pots. As for Black is the New Black, that's his show uh, with Taylor that you can listen to on RageWorks.net, and you can also download via iTunes. They cover sports, hip hop, and geek geek culture. Uh, they really do a great job with it. So definitely check them out if you're a fan of one or all, one, two, or all three of those genres. Definitely give it a listen. All right, so with that said, that is going to wrap up the MMA segment for this week, and we're going to head into some wrestling. Of course, WrestleMania is very, very close. Things are starting to pick up steam. Did Raw, be, did Raw deliver the goods this week is the main question. Booker T, take it away. We want the gold, sucker. Hulk Hogan, we're coming for you, nigga.
My Take Radio's wrestling segment is brought to you by WWEShop.com. Use our promo code WWESAVE10 to save $10 on orders over $70 or more. Again, that promo code is WWESAVE10. You can find other promo codes on RageWorks.net. As always, any promo codes used and any banners clicked do help us out. They are affiliate links. Always got to let you guys know that. But again, those affiliate links do help us out and allow us to improve the site and the show. Again, this week's wrestling segment brought to you by WWEShop.com. All right, so let's get the ball rolling with Raw this week, which was... Um, here's, here's, let me, let me, before I get into Raw as a whole, let me talk about the bigger picture. And I've mentioned this before. With WWE utilizing the network as effectively as they have... Every episode of Raw, in my opinion, leading up to WrestleMania, has lost the level of significance that we are accustomed to as fans that are on the quote-unquote road to WrestleMania. Now, you're probably saying that that's Rich's uh, jaded uh, analytical ramblings, but I tend, you know, I'm going to say that I disagree. And the reason I say this is because many wrestling fans outside of myself have also expressed that to me, and I'm talking about guys that are longtime wrestling fans, they go, yeah, you know, the buildup for WrestleMania isn't the same now that they got the network because, you know, they just, they know that people are going to watch it regardless. They know that that's a guaranteed watch. And that's the thing. If you love wrestling or hate wrestling, you're going to watch WrestleMania because it is what you're going to do. I know people that haven't watched wrestling in years, but they will tune into WrestleMania if they're at a bar or if it's, you know, if somebody's watching it at the house, that has always been the case because it is, you know, the showcase of the immortals. It is this big event. And because of that, I feel that WWE's kind of eased up the gas with regards to build up. Think about it. When WrestleMania, the when the road to WrestleMania begins right after the Royal Rumble, out of every Raw leading up to WrestleMania, there are very few that are lackluster or paint by numbers. On the contrary, the bulk of them are loaded with great matches, incredible angle advancement, and a genuine necessity for for you to get invested in every episode. Now, it's like it fluctuates. You got one episode of Raw that's really good, one that's so-so, one that's garbage, then we flip it back to a so-so, then we get a good one, and that's pretty much the way it's been. But like I said, they know that that WrestleMania buy rate that WrestleMania tune-in is is legitimate. That re- Everybody's going to watch WrestleMania win, lose, or draw. And I'll tell you why. It's the curiosity factor. Are they going to leave the belt on Brock Lesnar? Are they going to pull the trigger on Roman Reigns? How's The Undertaker going to look in his match with Bray Wyatt? Will Triple H put over Sting? Like, what's happening is that people are watching WrestleMania not for, not for the matches themselves, but watching it because they want to know if it's going to play out the way it should, or if it's going to end up being a train wreck. So a good example is what I've talked about that always hinders Raw when it starts. And that's when Raw opens up with a 25-minute fucking promo. It really just sucks the wind out of everything. Obviously, you had to acknowledge Randy Orton pretty much whooping Seth Rollins' ass last week, and that's great, but... The overall presentation and using that as your buildup, I just felt that there was, it went a lot, it went longer than it should have. 
And the reason I say this is because obviously you know that it's leading to the inevitable match between Rollins and Orton, whether it's tonight or at WrestleMania, we know that that is a guarantee. But I do feel that opening up every segment with some bullshit with the authority is sucking a lot of energy out of the opening for Raw. You need to open Raw up with something aggressive, something that makes people go, holy shit, this is serious. But what happens is as soon as Raw starts, if the wrong person is talking, people are changing the channel. The other thing that I said was that they pulled the Randy Orton turn too soon. Randy Orton should have turned on the authority on the 16th episode or on on next week's episode on the 23rd. You turned Randy Orton too quick and what happens is that there was no more buildup. It's like, I'm going to fight Seth Rollins at WrestleMania. And it's like, no shit, Sherlock. We knew you were going to fucking challenge him at WrestleMania. But that falls on creative. Creative should have, you know, they should have done a slow burn with Orton, you know, with the Woody or wouldn't he, and either pulled the trigger this Monday or next Monday. And even if you do it next Monday, you pull the trigger at the start of Raw, you set up the match at the end of Raw, and that's it. But instead, you do it two weeks early, and what ends up happening is, all right, Orton and Rollins had their little match this week, which, of course, we're going to talk about the ending in a moment, you know, later on. But you just, it didn't accomplish what it needed to accomplish because you did it too soon. The timing was off. Now, As for the matches themselves, the first match of the night saw Nikki Bella take on AJ Lee. Of course, the Divas will be participating in a Divas tag team match at WrestleMania. So we know that we're going to get one-on-one matches between all four women in some some combination from now through WrestleMania. Nikki Bella and AJ, Brie Bella and Paige, Brie Bella and and, and, uh, Nikki, I mean uh, Brie Bella and Paige or... Nikki Bella and AJ again, or maybe, you know, a two-on-one handicap match. We're going to get all these different combinations up until WrestleMania. And I've said this before, and I'll continue to say it. Pay-per-views are meant for title defenses. And I mean all the titles. Intercontinental, U.S., Divas, Tag Team. Every belt should be on the line at a pay-per-view. So the fact that you're taking your two most popular Divas that are not on the show, to- well, let me rephrase that. You're taking two of your most po- popular anti divas and facing and putting them against the two most popular divas on your on your roster, and there's nothing on the line. Is just really not doing anybody any favors. You could have made this a fatal four way and put the belt on the line, and it would have had a bit more substance because you could have had maybe you know deception, be- uh, dissension between the div- uh, the Bellas you know setting up that match for WrestleMania cuz let's think about this wasn't Brie Bella Nikki Bella's personal assistant and slave for how many weeks and then all of a sudden she decided to help Nikki Bella there was no explanation there was no plot development there was nothing it's like oh you know everything is all good that would have been the exact you could have used that as as the fuel for the fire for a match between all four women at WrestleMania you know, that's that's really the big picture here. You're, you you had all this great story that was built up, and for what? You you know, just to create a tag team match. Now, the Keefe says a tag team match will be shorter than a fatal four-way, and you know what it is? While I understand where he's coming from, WrestleMania's three fucking hours, dude. 
even if you would have done a fatal four-way match and that shit would have been eight minutes long, you know, there it, at least we could have done that. Um, he adds that they want to give them a short-term solution because of TV time complaints. Okay, let's let's explore that for a second. Let's talk about TV time. If you're going to complain about TV time, then let's complain about the fact that they recap shit that happened five minutes ago, 15 minutes later. If you just tuned in at 8.30, here's what happened at 8.15. If you're tuning in at 9 o'clock, here's what happened at 8.30. Who gives a shit? You could at least do a recap later on. Shit, I'll take eight minutes for a title match, dude. If you're going to give me three minutes of hair pulling, I'll take eight minutes for a title match. Fuck that. <laughs> I'll take eight minutes of quality wrestling than, than, than eight minutes of shit. Not to say that the, that the, uh, the tag team match is going to suck because I think it's going to be good because AJ and Paige are good workers. But I'll take, I'll take an eight-minute title match, dude, than four minutes of shit. I'm serious, man. You got to get in where you fit in. I'll take that, but in all seriousness, I just feel that pay-per-views are to close out feuds and really, um, you know, and really just, just have all the belts defended. You know, the tag team match, while I understand the, it's, it's usefulness from a story perspective, I do feel that again, the titles should be defended on every pay-per-view. That's what they're for They're at this point, you know, they're glorified props. And I've talked about that. Ryback and The Miz was pretty much as academic as you could expect. Of course, this was more of an angle advancement match. Um, you know, the, the the thing that gets me with this is that they're really pushing the uh, the Damian Mizdow, uh, you know, the the tease for the for the push. And here's my problem with that. All right, Damian Mizdow turns on the Miz or 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 whoops the Miz's ass. Great, they have one match, maybe two matches. All right, fine. But what do you do with Damian Mizdow after that? And I've said that before. All right, Damian Mizdow whoops the Miz's ass. They have one or two matches. Then what? You know? What 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 are you going to do at that point? Because at that point, if you don't have anything good creatively, it's a waste of fucking time. And that's what worries me because Damian Mizdow has really eaten a lot of shit to make this gimmick work. And he's on the top of his food chain. You know, I don't get, I, you know, Damien, Damien Mizdow is, you know, top of the food chain right now. And it's the, and it's all about what happens where, after you turn him. What happens? Think about it. Once Damien Mizdow defeats the Miz and, you know, becomes his own man, what happens next? Is he going to go out to, is he going to go back to coming out dressed as Jesus? It, you know, you're welcome. Is, are we going to get that? Are we going to get something else? Because Damian Sandow is a tremendous worker. And his program with The Miz, his work with The Miz, has breathed new life into his character. But you are going to undo all that work if you don't have something good after that. You know? The Keefe says, Mizdow should completely dethrone The Miz as a star and Miz become his assistant. That's a good way to drag out that feud. That's actually a really good idea. Props to you for that. That would be a good way to do it where at least you can drag it out a little more, kind of make the Miz a little bit more of a comedy act because he's stuck being Miz Dow's assistant. That's a very, very interesting premise. And at least doing that, you can drag that feud out a little a little bit more. So uh, props to the key for that. Um, 
we had a uh, the obligatory contract signing, which, um, of course, with the lack of Lana, definitely made things very, very interesting. Of course, Lana is off shooting a movie with Edge. Um, it's a WWE Studios production, so she's going to be off TV for the next couple of weeks. Not sure if she'll be at WrestleMania, but she might be. Uh, her 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 lack of participation definitely brought down that segment as the crowd pretty much shit on it completely, but it allowed Rusev to step into his own as a credible as a credible talker without Lana. Don't get me wrong, Rusev by himself can do can do can you know he can fare rather well, but Lana definitely adds that extra that extra punch to his gimmick, obviously because she's easy on the eyes, but also because Lana knows how to get the crowd really, really invested in Rusev as a performer. Now, Rusev did a great job with his little exchange with John Cena. Obviously, the match was official. Uh, the, the you know the a table was destroyed, but the real the real asshole moment was that terrible, terrible actor that they got. That was Rusev's lawyer. His accent went from Russian to English to regular English to it, it was it was terrible. I don't know where they got the guy, but he was um it was complete it was complete dog shit that guy. He really just hurt that segment. As for Cena, obviously Cena playing the role of Captain America trying to dethrone the big bad Russian. It's no different than Rocky and Ivan Drago in Rocky Four. I understand where they're going and I understand what they're trying to do. But much like I said with Mizdow once you, Rusev gets de- once Rusev gets defeated, what are you going to do with him? What are you going to do with Rusev? Because Rusev is another guy like I've said that he's been trapped in the undefeated, you know, in the in the undefeated square where it's like, all right, he's undefeated so we can't every match that he loses has to be by DQ or some sort of shenanigan so he's kind of been pigeonholed. Rusev actually makes a welcome addition to the upper card if utilized correctly. I think Rusev would be a great guy to have in that upper card to kind of be a main eventer, but not ready to 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 be champion just yet, but a guy that was always there. I mean, if you remember when Umaga started getting, you know, when Umaga started getting really, really over and the crowd was into his character, Umaga was right up there, you know, prior to his passing in the main event scene. I think if they did that with Rusev and really brought him up to that level where he was there, he was just a force, it would really do a lot for his character. Now, the US title has kind of taken a back seat. While I do understand that, you know, this is all about Cena and Rusev, the US title taking a back seat is just a, you know, it's a disservice to the title and the lineage of that belt. I feel that as a secondary title, much like the IC title, you really should acknowledge that it is a major player in the company. Unfortunately, like I've said, the belts have become props, and this this feud is a great example of that. Even though the belt is on the line, it is truly an afterthought in this situation. Kid and Cesaro took on a combination of the New Day, which I really didn't give a shit about, but I will have to say that... um. Kid and Cesaro as a tag team are tremendous. They continue to impress. Uh, the Matadors got involved, which when they wear those stupid bullfighting hats, they look like Toad from Mario. So from now on, we're just going to call them the Matatotis. That's what they're going to be from now on. They're going to have their little uh, their little Toad hats 
when they come out there. I mean, you're trying to get those guys over as as badass guys, but they either look like mushrooms with the hats on or bootleg Ninja Turtles with the hats off. So you got to figure something out with both of those guys. I mean, you know, we we know that the inevitable multi-team tag team match at WrestleMania is going to happen, but the real question is with the injury that Jay Uso sustained, are we going to see the Usos involved or are we going to get a, a change in the program leading up to WrestleMania? The worst part is that the New Day who definitely have an upside if they're booked correctly, have pretty much become the obligatory clowns of the tag team division. They're going to go out there, they're going to shuck and jive and and make everything entertaining, and yeah, no. They're not entertaining, and that's the problem. Their wrestling definitely is good, but their, their entertainment value as a tag team, regardless of which members are in there, is just severely lacking. Nobody cares about gospel singing wrestlers, shucking and jiving wrestlers. It just doesn't work. But then again, the you know, when your tag team consists of, you know, Cesaro, Tyson Kidd, the Usos, two bullfighters, and pretty much, you know, the Harlem Boys Choir in wrestling trunks, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 a separate issue all its own. I mean, you break up Goldust and Stardust for what? Don't know. Just to put Stardust in the in the IC title ladder match, great. But you lost the tag team in the process. Now, there are rumors that, you know, WWE is looking at the to bring in the Briscoes. I don't know how true that is. But um the real question is, why don't you, you know, what happened to the primetime players? At least you could put them back in the picture if the Usos are injured. Again. You do have some tag teams that are credible, but you're doing nothing with them. I mean, the Lucha Dragons, everybody's been talking about those guys getting the call-up from NXT. Why don't you bring those guys up and kind of inject a little life into that division? Here's another idea. Why don't you, you already brought Bubba Ray back. Why don't you bring the Dudleys back and let those guys carry the division and build alongside those guys? Like, I would rather see Kid and Cesaro... Take on the Dudleys, the Usos, and the Lucha Dragons in a ladder match. Then see Kid and Cesaro take on Kirk Franklin's boy band and, you know, the, the, the Toads, the Toads for Mario. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Now, the Keith mentions, um, you know, uh, the, the Enzo Amore and, and Colin Cassidy. And don't get me wrong, those guys would be great for the tag team division. But I'd, I'd like to see those guys run NXT for a little bit because the Lucha Dragons are kind of out of the picture right now. And if you want to get a tag team that's over with the kids, the Lucha Dragons are definitely the team to do it. Do you know how many masks you could sell between both characters? I think that that's, that, that's a, a, a step in the right direction if WWE decided to pull the trigger. I would love to see that. I think the Lucha Dragons would do would fare better on the main roster than they have in NXT because at this point in NXT they've kind of outlived their shelf life. They're kind of just lost in the shuffle. Um But we'll see what happens. We got a um a pre recorded Brock Lesnar interview, which was, you know, as 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 could be expected. And the reason that this pre recorded interview didn't really bother me too much is because once again, Paul Heyman saves Raw. Paul Heyman is a, is an was an animal on the mic, 
and that's something that I want to get into a little a little later on in the segment. But Paul Heyman is is promo in a box. That guy is 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 god tier when it comes to uh, mic work, especially right now with the build up with him and and you know with Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns. Paul Heyman is the all star of this feud. Anyway. They sacrificed Eric Rowan to the big show, which was stupid because you break up the Wyatts, you do all this stuff, and Eric Rowan is just basically getting jobbed out every week. I think Eric Rowan is a serviceable big man. I don't know why they can't give him a solid gimmick, and you have to go out there and sacrifice him to the big show. It's stupid, Um, but you know, it's just one of those things that fills time. Uh, the Keith asked, Brock Lesnar's interview was a little UFC-ish. Don't you think that's something we saw when he feuded with Frank Mir? It definitely had a, that UFC vibe to it, and I think that's what they were going for intentionally, just because there's been so much speculation of Brock Lesnar going back to the UFC. I mean, it served its purpose. If Brock Lesnar's going to be out there, I'd rather it mean something, so I'll accept the videotape promo. But like I said, you can have the videotape promo because Paul Heyman's going to come out there and knock it out of the box anyway. The real question is going to be what's going to go down on Monday because Monday is when they got to lay all their chips on the table and give us a raw that's going to sell us on WrestleMania. So I'll take the pre-taped interview this week because I know next week the ass whooping is coming either for Roman Reigns or for Brock Lesnar. So I'll take that either way. Um, We got a brand new Hall of Fame announcement. Uh, Larry Zabisco is the latest inductee. Uh, Larry Zabisco had a lot of memorable moments in his career, including during his tenure as color commentator on WCW and his many feuds with members of the NWO, taking people on a trip to Larry land. Um, you know, that's the stuff that I remember with, um, you know, with, 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 with a smile on my face. So definitely I got to give credit where credit is due. Larry Zabisco definitely is a fitting entrant into the hall of fame. So I have no problem with that induction. They did a mini battle royal, which pretty much sucked. And um, like I said, Paul Heyman came out and cut an amazing promo. Uh, Roman Reigns' new T-shirt, I can and I will. Uh, nice little play on on the Nike ads that were similar. I think Roman Reigns had the crowd behind him in this instance. But again, Roman Reigns as a main eventer needs a lot of work. But I will say this, Paul Heyman knows how to bring the best out of anyone. And he definitely brought he he definitely brought out some more per personality for Roman Reigns. But again, Paul Heyman is not going to feud with Roman Reigns through WrestleMania. Paul Heyman's not going to feud with Roman Reigns after WrestleMania. So Roman Reigns needs to put on his big boy pants and start taking some improv classes and working with some fucking acting coaches if he expects to to be on Regis and Kelly and be in the face of the WWE. Because right now, still a little suspect. Especially when you're being outspoken by a guy who's who's just, you know, a manager. I mean, again, being outspoken by Paul Heyman for any performer at this point is just something when, you know, it's 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 something that you you should just expect. Uh the Keefe says when you have Mark Henry trying to put you over, something is wrong. Absolutely. Mark Henry Mark Henry putting over Roman Reigns was just a testament to how little belief Roman Reigns has creatively and the reason I say this is because he looks like a main eventer he's built like a main eventer but people just don't believe it they don't and while you you know I I do see that you that you wrote that Roman Reigns should never speak 
I don't think that he should never speak. I just think that you need to give him a manager that is able to make him a better wrestler. And when I say that, I say I use, like I've said before, Vicky Guerrero and Dolph Ziggler. When Vicky Guerrero was with Dolph Ziggler, Dolph Ziggler was at the top of his game. And then as Dolph Ziggler got better on the microphone, the, the, the need for Vicky Guerrero grew to be less and less and less and less. Roman Reigns is in that same camp. Roman Reigns needs a good manager that can do the talking for him and allow him to continue to become better until you take the training wheels off. Like I said, if you want to if you want to turn everybody on their head, you would have Paul Heyman turn on Brock Lesnar, align with Roman Reigns, and Roman Reigns would win the belt at WrestleMania. Thus, Roman Reigns would have Paul Heyman as his manager, but that would require a shitload of a swerve which would never happen. But I will say that if Brock Lesnar doesn't re-sign with the WWE, that would be a good way to close that out. You know? It would just be Paul Heyman saying that Brock Lesnar took his ball and went home and that he put his money with the guy that was the future of this company. I would love to see that, and it would be tremendous. Of course, that's not going to be the case. On the contrary, there are some rumors I want to acknowledge uh, later on in the segment about that, but you know, I'd love I'd love to see that. I'd love to see something where you know, if, if Brock Lesnar doesn't re-sign, maybe have Paul Heyman cost him the belt and align with Roman Reigns, and then just have Roman Reigns shaking hands with Paul Heyman to close out WrestleMania, and everybody's just in shock, much like like you know when the Undertaker lost and everybody was just in shock. I think. Something of that magnitude would really turn the industry on its head because nobody would see that coming. But again, they're probably going to go with the safe bet, which I'll discuss later on. But we'll see what happens. We had the obligatory six-man tag team match, which of course co- coincides and is a is additional buildup to the ladder match at WrestleMania. And I have no problem with that because I knew for a fact it was going to break down with each guy attacking the other at the end of the match, and that's exactly where it was going. I have almost 100% certainty that Daniel Bryan is going to win that ladder match, but in the event that he doesn't, I would not be surprised if Dean Ambrose gets the belt. I will say that. And the only reason is because Dean Ambrose has been losing so many matches that I think that it would be a big surprise if he won that ladder match, but... As much as I like Dean Ambrose, I think that the sure bet is going to be Daniel Bryan and only because they want to kind of make up for the fact that Daniel Bryan is not in the main event at WrestleMania. But again, take it for what it's worth. We'll see what happens. We got one more Raw before that. As for the main event of the evening, of course, Seth Rollins was pretty much um, left alone going into this match, but... As we all know, if you are a seasoned wrestling fan, anything that looks too obvious usually is bullshit. And that's exactly what it was. Seth Rollins did not come out alone and instead came out with the authority to whoop Randy Orton's ass, at which point Randy Orton grabbed the chair, which of course served as the great equalizer. And uh, yeah, the great equalizer in the sense that lights go out, We hear some crows, lights go back on, and of course the vigilante called Sting 
was alongside Randy Orton administering a retro 1998 beatdown on the authority. Baseball bats, stinger splashes, and scorpion death locks, uh, excuse me, scorpion death drops were the name of the game for the closing segment. Um, definitely a, a solid, solid way to close it out. It was good to see Sting on Raw and, of course, adding a little fuel to the fire with his match with Triple H. Um, the Keefe says, Seth Rollins pulled a nice card out of Ric Flair's hat. Yes, he did. Definitely a nice, uh, that that's something definitely out of the Nature Boys playbook. Seth Rollins continues to impress as a heel. Uh, definitely top heel in the company right now. His mic work is tremendous. His ring work is out of this world. And I think his match with Orton has the potential to be a show stealer. But the real question is, to close things out before I get into the wrestling news of the week, um, what are you going to do with with a guy like Sting at this point? Because in Sting's case, Triple H can can put him over and he'll do the right thing and that's fine. But what happens after that? Do you try to have the match with The Undertaker next year? Does Sting go into the Hall of Fame? Does Sting become the new authority figure on Raw? I mean, there's so many different questions that can be answered, but the real question is, how how is Sting going to perform after WrestleMania? It's It's one of those things where it's great to have Sting out there and it's great to see him involved, but my question is, creatively, what are you going to do with Sting after WrestleMania? And that's one of those million-dollar questions that I'm going to be looking forward to answering post-WrestleMania because that's when things are going to get really, really interesting. All right, so let's go into the other wrestling news of the week, which uh, there are quite a few. First off, uh, WWE did their shareholder their shareholders meeting earlier in the week. And a lot of WWE executives got themselves some nice pay raises going into 2015. Uh, Vince McMahon's salary went from $1.1 million to $1.2 million a year. Kevin Dunn's salary went up $40,000. He now makes $866,000 a year. Triple H's salary went up from $550,000 to almost $580,000. So, uh... A lot of pay raises going on for upper management in the WWE, but when the network has over a million plus subscribers and most of their revenue is on the uptake, on the uptick, excuse me, it definitely should not come as a shock. But it's interesting that Vince McMahon earns, you know, one and a quarter million dollars a year. But as the owner of the company, that's that's a nice chunk of change to go home with every year. So uh, kudos to Vince for that. Now. The next bit of wrestling news, I can't confirm 100%. And I, exactly, the Keith Wright shit I need to raise, dude. Who are you telling? That's a lot of money. But um, a name I'm going to throw out right now that I haven't heard in quite some time. I actually thought that they cut him loose because I hadn't heard his name in so long. And that is Brad Maddox. If you guys remember, Brad Maddox was the douchey GM of Raw for quite some time and a corporate authority lackey before being uh, fired a couple, of, probably a year ago or maybe a little longer than that. Actually, yeah, the last time that Brad Maddox was seen on TV was May 2014, but there is a rumor going around that he was actually on the road with WWE and may be returning sooner 
rather than later. Who knows? Maybe Brad Maddox is a surprise entrant in the in the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. But the thing with Brad Maddox is, for as douchey as he was, I could never really establish if he was a good worker because most times he was getting his ass kicked every week. So we'll see what happens if he comes back as a performer, how he fares on the main roster, or who knows, maybe we'll see him in NXT. All right, so PW Insider put out an article recently that pretty much completed the WWE 2015 Hall of Fame class. And um, the thing that gets me is that most of the inductees we already know, um, obviously Conor Mihalik will be uh, will be receiving the Warrior Award with the uh, courtesy of Dana Warrior and Daniel Bryan. Rikishi is going to be inducted by the Usos. Medusa, of course, is going in. I don't know who's inducting her. Arnold Schwarzenegger is going to be inducted by Triple H. Uh, the rumors are that the Bushwhackers are going to be inducted by John Laurinaitis. Larry Zabisco allegedly is going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame by Bruno San Martino, which is incredibly fitting given their history. Um, Randy Savage is going to be inducted by Hulk Hogan, which I think is total bullshit, but that's just me. Uh, Tatsumi Fujinami is going to be inducted by Ric Flair. Allegedly, that will be announced on SmackDown. If so, that is a spoiler. And allegedly, the final inductee, allegedly, into the Hall of Fame, of course, is going to be the rumored Kevin Nash induction, which he will probably go into the Hall of Fame as Diesel, and all signs point to him being inducted by Shawn Michaels. Again, this is from PWInsider.com. Not 100% confirmed yet. But usually they're pretty spot on with their with their news with with regards to the uh, to the Hall of Fame. Uh, the Keith asks who should induct Randy Savage. The reason I I don't like that Hulk Hogan is inducting Randy Savage is because those guys fucking hated each other for real. If I had to have anyone induct Randy Savage into the Hall of Fame, it would be Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Considering that those guys had one of the most amazing matches that that people still hold as the measuring stick in professional wrestling today. If anybody should have inducted Randy Savage, it should have been Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. And I stand by that. Or he should have been inducted by his brother, the genius, Lanny Poffo. I would have taken that, either one of those, but not Hulk Hogan. Those guys, the beef was real in the ring, and out of the ring. So to have Hulk Hogan induct him, (laughs) the Keefe says, not Stephanie McMahon. As much as I would love to see the look on Vince's face with her going, you know, Dad, I'm going to induct Randy. I would would fucking lose my mind. But of course, again, that's been a, a long time rumor, but it would be amusing for sure. But in all honesty... Randy Savage should be inducted by Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. I, I hate to say it. Hogan doesn't need to be inducting anybody into the Hall of Fame. Fuck that. If he does it, it, allegedly when the NWO gets inducted, you know, he's going in there a second time, much like Ric Flair did with the Four Horsemen and on his own. Hogan doesn't need to induct anybody. Get out of here with that shit. All right, so... I wanted to talk about this next bit of news because this actually picked up some mainstream press. Um, WWE's medical director, Dr. Joseph Maroon, has been 
has been under the spotlight the last couple of days due due to some comments he made on the NFL Network about concussions. Uh, Basically, what he said was the problem with CTE, although real. Well, let me let me rephrase that. So what's been happening is that they've been talking about concussions during the last couple of months. um, And to kind of fast forward a bit, they asked him for a statement and he said, and I quote. uh, The problem with of CTE, although real, is that it is being over-exaggerated and being extrapolated to youth football and to high school football. It's much it's much more dangerous riding a bike or a skateboard than playing youth football. The comments, of course, have drawn attention from major news outlets, including ESPN, NBC, The Washington Post, and many more. Now, the thing is, when we look at post-concussion syndrome or post-concussion disorders, the biggest example, and these all come from Chris Nowitzki's many, many, many um, presentations regarding that, is the case of Chris Benoit, which many of us have uh, are all too familiar with. When with Benoit, when when they looked at you know his brain, they realized that he just had so much trauma, and there's countless NFL players that can attest to that same stuff. You know, the thing that gets me is when you look at NFL players, and Brian Gumble did did a special on this on Real Sports, and he was talking about the post-concussion uh, illnesses that players suffer. There was a player that was interviewed who his wife said in the interview that he threatened to kill her, and he didn't even know that he threatened to kill her. You know? And that's the kind of stuff that, that just bothers me because when people get on get on a bully on a pulpit... And they're talking about how uh, injuries affect athletes. You really have to tread very, very carefully, especially in situations like that. Because when you look at the at Dr. Joseph Maroon, you know, the guy, even though he works as a medical consultant and he's the neurosurgeon for the Pittsburgh Steelers, he's also the main the main physician at, at you know, in the WWE as well. He's WWE's medical director. And when there's so many, so many issues regarding concussions going on, and even WWE conducts rigorous concussion testing for you to go out there and say that, you know, it's not a big deal or that you're more prone to get injured skateboarding or riding a bike or whatever the case may be than doing youth football is really just, a you know, inserting your foot in your mouth. I definitely feel that. You know, concussions, especially over the long term, if you sustain a a very, very large number of them, can definitely have severe repercussions down the road. Like I said, you can watch the Real Sports documentary with Brian Gumbel, and you guys will see what I'm talking about because it is it is insane the stuff that happens with so many of these players. And again, it's another it's another foot in the foot in mouth situation for someone associated with the WWE. Like I said. They haven't been faring well lately between China saying that Triple H beat her, Bill DeMott's abuse allegations, now Dr. Joseph Maroon, plus the lawsuit that Dr. Chris Amon filed against CM Punk and Cole Cabana. There's way too much stuff in the in the press about associated with WWE, and the bulk of it is definitely not good. Um, I'm sure that Dr. Joseph Maroon will definitely need to elaborate on his comments and probably reiterate and rephrase them in order to not be in the hot water he is in currently last bit of news to wrap things up of course is the rumor that the 
the Briscoes are being looked at as being brought oh, as the next possible Ring of Honor performers that are scheduled to head to WWE. Of course, considering that El Generico, now Sami Zayn, Kevin Steen, now Kevin Owens, and countless other performers have, have pretty much become bona fide stars in NXT and haven't even made it up to the main roster, I would not be shocked if we see the Briscoes in a WWE ring before 2015 is out. I think the Briscoes are an incredibly talented tag team, but they are also incredibly talented as individual performers. And I think that bringing them in either for NXT or even to the main roster is going to be nothing but good for the company. Again, right now it's just speculation, a lot of rumors floating around, but we shall definitely see what happens with regards to the Briscoes. All right, so with that said, that is actually going to wrap up this week's wrestling segment and actually going to wrap up the show as well. So um, let's take it away and wrap things up, shall we? You've just heard My Take Radio episode 281, broadcasting live on Wednesday, March 18th, 2015. As always, if you want to listen to live shows, they air every Wednesday and Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. You can catch them live on mtrlive.com or gfqlive.tv. You can actually watch video and listen to audio feeds by hitting up either one of those URLs. But if you want the best experience, you can get archived episodes of the show via iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Of course, you can also get the official My Take Radio app, which is available for $1.99 for iOS, Android, and Windows mobile devices. For Android, you're heading to the Amazon Android Marketplace. For iOS, of course, you're heading to iTunes. And for Windows, you can use the Windows Mobile Marketplace or the Windows 8 Marketplace as well. Last but not least, archived episodes in video form are available on our YouTube channel's my Take Radio TV and Official Rage Works. All right. On behalf of myself and the rest of the MTR and Rage Works family, join us later on today for our gaming and entertainment edition of My Take Radio. Thank you guys for checking us out. We will see you guys later. Peace. I'm rich, <laughs> That's all, folks.